No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and joining me again this week on the program is nobody. This week I wanted to uh, continue my deep dive into funerals, what they are, why we have them, what we do for them, and kind of the origins of the things around them, all of the strange idiosyncrasies that lead to people uh, handling the dead, and how we do it, why we do it, and uh, you know, flipping over that rock and looking at the bugs that crawl out underneath. This week I wanted to continue into the examination of some unusual parts of the practice that aren't commonly known, and talk a bit about professional mourning, uh, get into the origins of it, what it is, why people do it, and why I am <laughs> uh, chagrined to say I think it's going to make a big comeback, or I think it'll really take root in Western culture here going forward. I'll, I'll get to that in a bit, but I uh, wanted to first reach out and uh, say hello to all our new listeners. I've seen a big uh, bump in traffic that I can't really attribute to anything in particular. Just roll the dice. So if you've stumbled upon this podcast and found it, hello, welcome. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, this is weird stuff. Uh, you know, I don't expect to get special treatment for talking about this stuff or, you know, uh, childlike nature of, look at me being special and unique. No, it, it's, it, I'm recognizing the fact that this is not happy, fun, um, carefree stuff for a lot of people the the people that I find in my life that I can talk about this stuff with it's a an unusual affinity that I I don't get to share with everybody uh not everything is universal in this regard and not everything is uh you know common through all interactions with people so if there's somebody in my life that I'm willing to you know or that is willing to talk with me about this stuff they Oftentimes, we'll be able to talk about one particular aspect of it, and I am not really able to get farther into another aspect with them. It's kind of interesting to find what clicks with some people and what clicks with others. But all that being said, thank you for taking the time to listen. I always appreciate it. Uh, if you've got questions, comments, feedback, concern, uh, whatever you want to send in, um, just send an email or uh Reach out on Twitter or Instagram, you're dead too at gmail.com or at you're dead too on social media services. I'm out there. You can dig me up. I'm willing to engage whatever manner you deem necessary. Uh, certainly willing to uh, look outside the bounds here for whatever kind of input people want to give because uh, I like hearing from people. I like getting some feedback and knowing what, how you know this is being taken by people. So all that being said, I'm just going to... Uh, skip all the formalities and just jump right in this week and say, let's take a look at Professional Morning. So let's put the fun back in funeral. Professional Morning. Uh, this is something that I had been aware of as a thing, but I hadn't really... I mean, I, I knew it existed, but I don't really know where I kind of got that osmosis for it. It's, I, it must have been through, man, I guess I, certainly the practice predates much of modern history. I am not a history major. I don't have an extensive background in um, archaeological, cultural, sociological uh 
goings on. <laughs> I like digging into it. It's fun for me to uh, trace this stuff back and try to figure out what what is giving rise to these things. But I was aware of it, you know, as a younger person, like in my teens. I think I must have come across it in um, religion class that I had at uh, the Catholic schools that I went to growing up. Um, certainly tales from the Bible, I know that there are cited examples of it that it specifically does appear in the Bible, and so I must have been at least passingly uh, familiar with the concept, and yet it is something that just must have seemed so esoteric and strange that I just kind of forgot that it was a possibility, but knowing what I know now about cultures far and wide that are not my own, it certainly seems to make sense of, oh yeah, I guess that that's that's definitely a thing that, uh, you know, you can... And certainly political theater of uh, famous people passing away or, you know, public figures, state figures, uh, the passing of uh, North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-il, was uh, not to say that they were paid mourners, but uh, interesting to see a society where you could quite plainly question the validity of the wailing and gnashing of teeth that I always talk about, of uh, how people respond to the loss of a dictator and then quickly step into the shoes of another, but um, without getting too sidetracked by political ideology and beliefs. I don't really want to go down that particular road. If you want to hash that out, find me elsewhere for it. Uh, What I mean to say is that it's an older practice, and it's one that I think will be resurgent uh, going forward, and you can hear I break every time I start to talk about that, and I'll get to that at the end of it, because it's, uh, looking forward, it's it's gonna get weird, frankly, I think, but I'll explain why that is later. Um, so let's talk about it, uh, kind of the origins and what, what it is I'm actually talking about here. Professional mourning, or paid mourning, is an occupation that originates from Egyptian, Chinese, Mediterranean, and uh, Near Eastern cultures, supposedly. However, I've seen plenty of anecdotal uh, evidence uh, either online or in things that I've read that uh, it's pretty much just where there's people, there are people willing to pay for uh, increased mourning, increased uh, sadness or uh, lamentation for uh, self-aggrandizing um, Professional mourners are also called moirologists or mutes, which I found to be an interesting iteration of the word mute, not uh, not as though somebody who does not speak, but somebody who is solemn or stricken by sadness. Um, they're basically paid or compensated somehow to uh, lament or deliver a eulogy and help comfort and entertain a grieving family. Uh, they're certainly mentioned in the Bible and other religious texts. Um, the occupations widely invoked and explored in literature from uh, the Ugaritic epics of early centuries BC to modern poetry. Um, in some cultures, it's held in high esteem, high regard, that it's treated as something that's... However, it uh, quickly becomes apparent looking at other cultures that it's seen as like a low practice or something that's not considered worthy of... Uh, pursuing in life and more so as a measure of last resort of uh, somebody who can't otherwise find conventional occupation or place in society. But this is all, um, (laughs) as I preface everything in my life, this is all coming from my very particular uh, viewpoint as somebody in their mid-30s in Midwestern America who is a 
white male who tries consistently to be open-minded and uh, as free of prejudice as possible. I know that that's uh, essentially a uh, Sisyphus-like <laughs> task to try to uh, continually open your mind because it's impossible to forego all of our uh, preconceived notions, but I, I like to work to stay open-minded and think that uh, all cultures and all people have something to offer and different uh, valid insight into the human experience. So with that, I will stop uh, basically apologizing and preambling and just try to cut right to it. Um, you can tell how reticent I am to really speak at this at length about other cultures, and uh, I don't want to just poo-poo or look down upon anybody else's particular uh, mindset or lifestyle without... Uh, giving a fair chance or explanation or uh, dismiss them something out of hand. It's just I, that's uh, not really how I like to live my life. But enough of that. Anyway, point is, um, as are most things in society, when you look back at this practice, uh, according to research online and obviously a source for a primary example of all this is Wikipedia and all of the myriad links and uh, places to source material from there. But looking there, uh, according to them, most of the people hired to perform the act of professional mourning were women. Men were deemed unfit for this because they were supposed to be strong and leaders of the family unwilling to show any sort of raw emotion like grief, which is why women were professional mourners. Uh, it, is actu it was actually socially acceptable to express grief for women, and expressing grief is important when it comes to mourning a body in terms of religion. Also, in a world full of jobs solely made for men, it gave women a sense of pride that they were actually able to earn money in some way. Uh... Let's stop there. Man. <laughs> it just, it never ends. It's, it's always, it's just, I feel conflicted looking back at, it's just always forever. Like having read The Chalice and the Blade, you know, that looking at symbols of, male virility and fertility and then looking at symbols of female fertility like the the historical dance of men just trampling on women's rights it, it is so tiring to see the same tales told over and over again of just how man once it feels like men, <laughs> once men got a foothold they really really just kept it on and uh it's just it's embarrassing and uh i've Again, without getting too soapboxy, it's just it's it's amazing to see the lens skewed so clearly to the benefit of men to say, well, uh, men were uh, supposed to be strong and looked looked up up to as the head of a household, and like yeah, yeah, I get it. It's 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 dumb posturing. I think of so many people in my life that I've met that are, you know, quote unquote, big scary men with stern faces, and then you ask their significant others, and they're like, oh yeah, total pushover. They're just a wimp. It's. <laughs> People are just projecting this sense of self of who they want to be, and it's brought me a lot of uh, unanticipated at times discomfort to try to be an authentic person and not put on airs about uh, supposed uh, expected forms of manliness. You know, I, I grew up in a real uh, – well, I grew up in a, a small town in middle America where there were very conventional ideas of uh, masculinity and manhood, and I was not particularly interested in adhering to them out of – uh, you know, both one for the sake of just what it is on the face of it, but two, the they just didn't appeal to me the same way. Like 
why do you prefer chocolate to peanut butter? Like, I just, it just didn't interest me. I wasn't particularly good at football, and I found it kind of boring to watch. Like, as I've gotten older, it's been a good excuse to sit on the couch and relax and have a beer and, like, turn my mind off and watch a game. But, like, I'm not somebody who associates my identity with, uh, you know, my validity does not somehow pinge pinch hinge uh pin upon uh my i don't know i'm this is me chewing on an idea that i I could go on forever so I'll, i'll try to keep it as brief as possible but basically uh it's just it's crazy i mean you look back in society in historical context of men having to be these strong prideful figures and it uh, does not seem to have played out particularly well for the other half of the population so to see this as something that was and acceptable or, you know, somehow, oh, look at this wonderful benefit of being a professional mourner. I, that, that doesn't exactly strike me as uh, egalitarian or uplifting for women. Um, but I'll get off my soapbox again and just kind of dive on with the material. Uh, so mourners were also seen as a sign of wealth. The more whalers or mourners that followed your funeral procession around, the more respected you were in society. So basically it was a status symbol. If you could afford to pay out of your estate to have people you know, cause a public scene, uh, that's basically, you know, money equals power. Can't take it with you. Have a big party at the end and uh, make a big fuss about what you're doing. That said, I should, you know, recognize that for a long time, and certainly even now, uh, people oftentimes leave nothing when they die. And, uh, what they are able to leave goes immediately to their family to take care of whatever cost there can be because as I've talked about in previous examples of this subject matter, funerals today are prohibitively expensive and are often a surprise to people and um, that's not necessarily a new phenomenon. So looking back at past societies, (laughs) savings accounts were not always a fostered thing. You know, people did not have... Uh, means to pass things along, and certainly in more of a dynastic tradition of life, there just wasn't a large estate to be left in a lot of cases. So to be able to pay for people to uh, grieve for you would certainly be an extravagance and something that you would, uh, and certainly if you know, society puts an importance on it, you would want to pay for it. But um, yeah, it's just, it's a wonderful part of humanity that always continues to exist. So uh, Looking at ancient Egypt, for example, uh, mourners would be making an ostentatious display of grief, which included loud wailing, beating exposed breasts, smearing the body with dirt and disheveled hair, all signs of uncontrolled behavior, the disorder of sorrow. Um, There are many inscriptions on tombs and pyramids of crowds of people following a body throughout the funerary procession. Um, And the most important of the women were the two that impersonated the two gods of Isis and uh, Nephthys. Nephthys? Nephthys? N-E-P-H-T-H-Y-S. I will continue to butcher that no matter how many times I try to pronounce that. Uh, They were both Egyptian gods that were believed to play a special role when someone died. They were to be impersonated as a mourning ritual by professional mourners. Uh, So in most inscriptions seen, one of them is at either ends of the corpse. Uh, There are rules for impersonation of these two gods. For example, the portrayer's body had to be shaved completely. Uh, Could not be done, or no, you could not have had any children, and uh, you tattooed the names of Isis or Nephthys, 
Sniffenephthys on their shoulders for identification. So basically, you had to be marked as this uh, professional person. This is what you do. It's it's kind of like a weird dark inverse to uh, being a priest or a cleric that you are a professional mourning. This is what you do is you are uh, foregoing having children. You are shaving your entire body. You are having tattoos put on you. This is what you do. This is your uh, your calling. Um, in China, this is another example where I am hesitant to speak at length about this for fear of being uh, clumsy or inelegant in my description of things because certainly uh, to just say China and paint with a broad stroke is not. uh, (laughs) There are many nuances that I would be remiss to just gloss over. Um, But going back as far as 756, um, professional mourners have been regular attendees at Chinese funerals. Uh, The tradition of professional mourning stemmed from theatrical performances that would occur during funerary processions. There would also be musical performances at funerals, uh, kind of stemming uh, as far back as the 3rd century. Um, Actors would play the role of the deceased and play out different aspects of their lives, Uh, and there's actually examples of this that you can see online as well. Um, But the idea of entertainment at funerals was not always popular, especially with uh, government figures and scholars. In fact, during the Cultural Revolution in China, uh, professional mourning was actually so looked down upon and rallied against by the government that there wasn't a single instance of professional mourning until it was revitalized in the Reform era. There are uh, examples, as I said, in the Bible. In the book of Amos, for example, uh, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, quote, There is wailing in all the plazas, and in all the streets they say, Alas, alas, they also call the farmer to mourning and professional mourners to lamentation. So that's book of Amos chapter 5, verse 16. Um, According to biblical analysis, the verse is implying that lamentation is like an art. Uh, People who were deemed good at wailing and moaning were then able to take part in more and more funerals and were expected to make more of these moaning sounds. Uh, The people who fulfilled the roles of these professional mourners were farmers who were done cropping for the season and didn't have much else to do, so they took on the role for extra money it would get them. Um, So it's this... It's not necessarily coming from a place of callous um, opportunism or crass commercialism and uh, making profane out of the sacred. It's simply the fact that uh, we were an agrarian culture, and once the harvest was done, what are you going to do to make ends meet? And this is something that is a universal constant. Um, As an example, in modern day, I've had people over to furnace <laughs> people over to service our furnace and i've talked to the people doing this just kind of picking their brain as they're doing it and kind of watching and trying to learn a bit about how the nuts and bolts of my house operate and uh, one person in particular shared how he had been in a completely different career and then the recession of 2008 struck and he'd actually gone back to school for um hvac maintenance and um basically industrial servicing, and he wanted to have something that was kind of an evergreen, always ready, always applicable skill set that uh, in the regardless of an economic downturn, he'd have this ability to, to do this. And I've thought, man, that is a really practical and just very savvy way of engaging the world that I really admire uh, seeing that kind of practicality. I, I don't necessarily possess that myself, so it's interesting to see that there is this even more natural outgrowth of that that Death is something that always happens. It is the universal constant. Um, there's the slogan of the podcast, no matter in life what you do, you're dead too. 
we are all going to die. Funerals are never in short supply. So in your off-season, I can certainly see the ability to uh, express yourself, and certainly if this is a, a society where you're in any way um, constrained against emotional outbursts or displays, I could certainly see how this would be a good outlet for you, especially if this is something that you seem to be particularly good at evoking a response in. It's almost like a performance art of like singing or playing an instrument where you're able to do this thing. You're able to play the moment. You're able to, you know, kind of interact with this crowd, almost like you're playing a room, like the inverse of a comedian, which, I mean, is not unlike what I'm doing here, but I'm not looking to actively bum people out. Or am I? Maybe I am. I don't think I am. But uh, anyway, point is, this is a constant. This is millennia old. We've always been doing this. So, <laughs> further along, quotes from the Bible. Um, according to the book, Mourner, Mother, Midwife, women played an integral part when it came to mourning. Uh, wailing women are called to lead the people in expressions of grief in response to the national tragedy that they just saw as the destruction of Zion. These women who are called to raise a dirge over us are literally called wise women. They can also be translated as skilled women. Um suggesting that the art of mourning is a skill that has to be learned. The role of the wailing woman constituted a professional trade that required training, so you couldn't just be some random off the street doing this. You had to actually have some skill and some nuance and some uh, idea to what you were doing. Um, in the modern era, you know, I don't... I don't <laughs> Shocker, shocker, Wikipedia leaves something to be desired. I don't particularly love their section on the modern aspects of it, but there are um, a few examples of modern mourning um, in Chinese culture, but again, it's I, I don't really love how broad of a stroke they're painting with, but um, in the UK, there was a company called Rent-A-Mourner. It's now defunct. I've been to their website. You can see it's got a nice little Where's Waldo graphic up of like, so long, folks. Um, but... Waldo was never something about saying goodbye, so I don't know why they chose that particular clip art. Anyway, point is, uh, you, in modern-day London, could uh, rent a mourner, and it enabled families to increase the number of guests at a funeral by hiring actors to play a role, for example, a distant cousin or an uncle. Uh, mourners were expected to be able to interact with guests without giving away that they'd been hired by the family, and... Uh, in modern day, the practice spans across religions. Mourners have been hired at Jewish and Christian events, um... Mourners typically paid somewhere between $30 and $120 per event, and not including potential tips, which, oh my god, who is tipping for this? Um, in Egypt, when someone in the family dies, the family or the women in the family would start the lamenting, the lamenting process, and uh, the neighbors in the community would join throughout the day. Professional mourners would also come up and help lead the family in mourning by making grief-stricken shrieks, uh, cherishing and reminiscing about the deceased. A funeral dirge is also performed by the mourners in which prayers are offered in the form of song or poetry. Uh, one of the teachings of Muhammad was that the sound of a wailing woman was forbidden, but modern Egyptian culture does not heed to this part of the Quran as the wailing and mourners follow the body to the graveyard. Um, but all of this occurs on the same day, or if the deceased were to pass away within the night the following day. So it's very quickly after the deceased, and right into the burial process. Um, additionally, there are uh, 
and it's interesting for me to note that uh, among the footnotes here for categories, this is listed as obsolete occupations. It is definitely not because even just a cursory Googling, you come across all sorts of opportunities for it and articles on the resurgence of paid mourning. I think about... Um, Certainly my own wedding was not a small affair. Um, in some ways I look back and think, man, this was crazy to have such a big party like this. And it was, yes, ostentatious, but like I have certain, I, I've seen my wedding be a fraction of the ostentation nature of uh, other weddings or other spectacles or like the older I've gotten, the more I've kind of found myself gravitating towards not making a scene and maybe that's just my midwestern scandinavian roots of like oh no don't make a fuss that's just fine we don't need to make a big deal about this um my wife and i wanted to celebrate our love that's it that was a different thing but i could certainly see the you know that we the way you hire a band to play at your wedding reception you want people to have fun and have a good time and like you you're not sticking a gun in somebody's back and saying, now dance and have a good time. You're just saying, guys, we're throwing a party and we want to have fun for everybody. Let's do this. The inverse to that, and, and I'm talking about inverses the whole time today because it, it's it's difficult to wrap our heads around an intentionally sad party, but the idea that you would want to kind of facilitate this or like play the instrument of somebody needs to kind of push the sadness so we can kind of exorcise this feeling uh have a good cry and let it out i can you know it is not foreign it is not an affront it is not uh a completely alien concept i can certainly see it and um it's you know like i said it's it's not unlike the the pharisees in the bible where there are people who make a real public display of their of their mourning or their grief this is it's unique to everybody uh Grief and sadness and loss are basic human emotions, and as people congregate to larger and larger groups, stuff like this grows out of it, where there's a, there's a role for it and there's an application for it. Um, but like going to jobmonkey.com, for example, there are professional mourner jobs that are listed. You can get work doing this. Um, there's also a crazy article on, of all places, Cracked from uh, 2016 of somebody who's a professional mourner, and they talk in great detail about it, and it, it is absolutely fascinating. Um, <laughs> there's another one on citizentruth.org called Criers for Hire. Um, really, it's, it's, it's not so far removed. We just don't talk about it, um, which is a lot of the reason I wanted to do this podcast and talk about this today. It's just that it's, it's something that because we are so good at brushing death and loss like this under the rug, you know, and really only talking about it in kind of the moment of the the loss and the moment of the funeral and then moving on, uh, it, this is not something that's like, you know, dinner table conversation. You know, I <laughs> Thanksgiving's coming up, and I can certainly see myself really, really ruining the meal by bringing some of this stuff up. So uh, fingers crossed I don't do that. But, you know, like I've said, I've had many other people in my life who are very curious about this stuff and very open to it and want to talk more about it. Um, so I've been saying I think it's going to make a reemergence or really come to a uh, popular position going forward in uh, 
Western culture, I, I really think, I, I, I don't want to sound like an old man saying get off my porch, but like this drive for public notoriety is just inescapable now um, across all culture. It's not just a Western thing. It's not just an American thing. You ask young people across the globe what you want to do when you grow up and they, you know, if, would you want to be famous? A lot of kids say yeah because that's that's something aspirational that we look to and it's public presence is, it's got cachet to it. I mean, there are, as I say all the time, there smarter minds than mine can talk about this at length, but the short idea being that uh, the more known you are, the more famous you are, the somehow more valued or, you know, uh, verified your existence is, that somehow there is, uh, if it's not broadcast, if it's not tweeted, Instagram's snapped out, whatever, on TikTok, that you, if it's not seen, it ain't happening. And uh, <laughs> I, I like to have a bit more privacy and lead more of a personal life, but then again, here I am on the internet spilling my guts out to everybody for posterity and uh, potentially sinking my own ship 20 years from now. But it's, you know, if you go back and listen to my first episode with uh, Katie talking about teenagers and um, public online presence, it's really, you know, even the best and brightest of kids, they, they really feel this social pressure to have this to to foster this and to grow this and I can speak from my own experience of like putting dumb stuff out on Twitter and like nobody makes me go on Twitter I don't get anything out of it other than just I think it's a novel fun thing that happens to be full of Nazis but that's a whole separate problem um it's it's just a void to shout into at the very least which is cathartic for me, but at the same time, I'm also able to make jokes and interact with people. Like, uh, I recently made a joke about boat explosions and tweeted at a comedian and writer that I really admire here in the Twin Cities area, got a response from him, and then the person who wrote the book that I was referencing, uh, because I tagged them, uh, liked the tweet too. So it's like, the author of that book saw that I made that joke that is, like, yeah, I tagged him, but I didn't think he'd see it, you know? Like, it wasn't mean in any way, but it was just strange to know that, like, you've got this voice that used right. You can get a message to people. And for God's sake, for for better or for worse, the American president at the moment is certainly wielding it to an alarming degree of efficacy, whether or not it's for the better or for worse of mankind. I'm not going to get into that. But again, this is not the place for it. But uh, looking at you know, engagements of numbers and seeing some dumb joke that I make with a comedian getting like, you know, 20,000 impressions of, you know, interaction with people, even though it only gets like 30 likes. It's crazy to see that like, wait, so how many people saw this? It's that old thing about like passing a photo around and, uh, or not passing a photo around, but, you know, posting a photo for the example of showing kids how far and wide the reaches of the internet go and how basically anything you put on there podcasts included, can be used to uh, change, corrupt, or wield a message against you. And it's it's just all of this pressure for social cachet, I can absolutely see uh, the resurgence of professional mourners coming to fruition. Certainly, if not on the personal level, 
on the corporate level. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm nuts. Um, yeah, I'm nuts. Uh, I'm not saying I'm a conspiracy theorist, but there are uh, some general skepticisms that I have about the world around me, and certainly having as many uh, friends and family as I do that work in the large multinational corporations based out of Minnesota, you know, Cargill and 3M and Target and all these places that are so unnervingly shrewd with their ability to manipulate public data. I have no doubt that there will be, if there have not been already, instances of people being paid to mourn. Um, if there are people being paid for political rallies and political protests, you can certainly bet that there's going to be uh, paid mourners given the right circumstance. And uh, I don't want to sound doom and gloom. I just I think it's something that's going to be on the rise. So if you've got a good cry face, if you've got a good ability to scream and wail and gnash your teeth, you can probably bet on having a secure job if you need it. Uh, I don't I don't mean to sound like a downer or like. I'm not saying it as things are getting worse. I'm saying it just as a matter of this is a, a thing that I could certainly see becoming much more prominent. And certainly as digital culture changes online, and that is a very self-referential statement, as we see the further uh, development and change of societal interaction with digital culture, I could see the... Uh, the intent to wield an army of bots or, um, you know, uh, AI chat bots to um, put out a bunch of tweets about something or, you know, just uh, this is something that there's more to it and I want to dig further into it, but man, it's, it's something that is a bizarre part of the world of funerals and death and dying and I think it's it's only going to become more common. So uh, if you agree with me, that's fine. If you don't agree with me, would love to hear your thoughts on why. Let me know. Uh, reach out to me on Twitter, ironically, or Instagram, uh, where I mostly just post little cartoons and doodles and dumb stuff to try to uh, make light of the fact that this is horrible, depressing stuff. Or send an email or whatever to uh, yourdead2 at gmail.com. Let me know because I think... As I said, this is, I only see this as uh, becoming more and more prominent, so I would love to hear people's thoughts about what, uh, about what is the deal here, what, and how it can be extrapolated to, what, what this means for change, like is this, uh, are there classes being taught for it, do you have any experience doing this, oh my god, yeah, if you have done this, please write in. Please let me know. I would love to hear about it. I would love to hear your experience because the article on Cracked, for example, they talk about getting found out by the family that, you know, you have to do research into this. You have to, like, do a bit of a backstory dive on somebody to figure out why are they uh, being mourned? Who are their family here? What kind of anecdotes can you pick up about them? And that to be a good mourner, you should be indistinguishable from somebody who knew them in reality. So there's certainly a social engineering aspect to this as well that's just, uh, I find it fascinating. So please, if you've got any experience with this, write in. I want to hear from you. Um, otherwise, I will uh, I will leave it at that for now. And thank you for listening. As always, it blows my mind that anybody would take time out of their day to listen to me talk about this. But uh, write in. Let me know what you think. 
and uh, I will see you again next week.